0: Precise. It's a wonderful historic place, but it's also politically a very important place. You know, we hear about the Red Wall all the time. The Red Wall in the North will decide who wins or loses the next general election. Well, maybe that's because right now, Kent, with 17 constituencies, has just one Labour MP. That's Rosie Duffield, Canterbury. And that's got more to do, I think, with a lot of students being in Canterbury and voting there. I hope they don't also vote where they come from back at home. But it's only a few years ago when half of the seats in Kent were Labour. And indeed, all three of the parliamentary constituencies here in Medway were Labour. It's just in the last decade they've been held by the Conservatives. So here... The issues around do we trust the Conservatives, do we still believe in the Conservatives, are going to be absolutely vital. Now, it's not been a particularly great week for the Conservative Party and we'll talk about that. We'll talk too, this evening, to the leader of Medway Council and find out what's happening on the ground. I have to say I have a very strong affection uh, for this place. It was in Rochester where a Member of Parliament resigned, stood in a by-election as UKIP and won the seat. We are very much in Brexit country here. But I don't think the Conservative Party can take voters in Rochester and more broadly across Medway for granted. In fact, I'm certain they can't take them for granted. So tonight, I'm asking you the question, the very simple question, do you still trust the Tories? Because in 2019, the country did in a very, very big way. Let me know, please, what you think. Farage at GBNews.uk. And... There'll be much else besides over the course of the next hour. But joining me right now, fresh from doing an outdoor show down by Winchester Cathedral. Show. Windy and quite cold is our political editor, Darren McCaffrey. Darren, it has been quite a week for the Conservatives. Just remind us of some of the things that have happened.
1: Well, to be fair, it's not just the Conservatives. I mean, it's been a desperate week for British politics and for Parliament. I mean, you and I have covered politics or been around for a long time. I'm struggling to think of a week quite like it. It started off with... Uh, Angela Rayner and that story in the Mail on Sunday, cross leg gaiters, it got called, and then the gates just kept coming uh, over and over again. We heard uh, Liam Byrne today, a former cabinet minister under Gordon Brown, who's been suspended from Parliament for two days for bullying. We've got Jamie Wallace, a Conservative MP, who's going to be in court next month in Cardiff over that car accident. And then, probably the most extraordinary of them all, uh, these allegations from a female Conservative minister. And another female Conservative MP that a colleague, a Conservative MP, was caught watching pornography on their phone in the Commons Chamber and at a select uh, committee. Quite...
0: Oh, that, it. that one, Darren, is extraordinary. Now, I can exclusively reveal who it is. Um, we are going to put the picture up on the screen right now of who's being caught so that you can all see. And for those of you here and listening on the radio, uh, it's a picture of Jacob Rees-Mogg. <laughs> <laughs> looking at his phone and it's a woman dressed in full Edwardian robes. But more seriously, there's no doubt, is there, that the Sunday newspapers will reveal the identity of this person? I,
1: I don't think um, that is. You're right. I can't imagine this is going to stay quiet or secret for very long. I think the big thing, Nigel, is what does this say about our politics? You know, these are two political parties with various scandals. Weekend reports last weekend suggesting there are 56 MPs okay. involved in some type of investigation into sexual misconduct. 56. It's right across the Commons. It's not just a conservative problem, right across Commons. It's led uh, the Attorney-General today to say, and I, think, I want to read this quote out to you because I think it's quite powerful. She said, There is, however, a very small minority of men who fall short and there are some bad apples who are out of order, who behave like animals. And are bringing Parliament into distribution. I think there will be very questions about the culture in Parliament, about the drinking culture, about the very fact that MPs employ their staff directly, about the HR procedures. But there is no doubt, and it's not just the new intake or the old take, uh, or the old guard, the dinosaurs. I mean, this is right across the board, and and, and, and yeah. it will undermine trust in policy. And it's
0: here in Kent too, because of course we've had a Conservative member of Parliament, Vadova,
1: mm, indeed, who's in prison, Charlie yeah. Elfing? yeah, gone to prison. Um, we
0: had Damien Greene.
1: In, in, involving pornography as well. <laughs> who was
0: effectively <laughs> yeah. virtually a Deputy Prime Minister, wasn't he, yeah. under so, so the May? The,
1: yeah, there is a very, very long list. And, and, and I, I just, I fear, because I mean, we have to remind ourselves, there are an awful lot of good MPs out there yeah. who work very, very hard. And as, as the Attorney General said today, you know, there are some bad apples. And we have to say, mainly men who are ringing politics in the but district. But you're quite party.
0: right. Labour have got their scandals too. But... It's parties in government who and they've been in government now for a long time. They tend to lose elections rather than oppositions winning them. And I just wonder. I wonder what the impact of this is going to be.
1: Yeah, I think it is. And it's really difficult to tell. And we've got these local elections, not necessarily here where we are in this part of the country, but elsewhere across England, Scotland and Wales, this time next week. And Northern Ireland, assembly elections happening there uh, as well. And we'll be covering that on G B News. But it's always fascinating to know how much of the national narrative ways on local elections. Clearly, the Conservative Party would like in many ways this to be about local councils. They feel that they run them much better. Boris Johnson talked about Nottingham. He talked Mm -hmm. about Croydon, um, who've got involved in scandals and bankruptcy in recent years. And they talk about low council tax and that sort of stuff. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I think the Conservatives will be judged largely on big national issues, not just party gate that, of course, gets people animated, but also the cost of living crisis, whether that's your petrol pumps, your heating bills, uh, inflation going up, uh, rises in the supermarket, but also this tax uh, increase that has happened with the national insurance this month. A lot of people will have got paid today or tomorrow and they will notice notice. that there's a lot less money in their pocket. And in the end, we'll have to see how much that weighs down. Will this be a crucial local election for Boris Johnson? You bet it will be. Of course it will, because in the end, he is under political pressure. If he can prove that he's not a winner, a lot of Conservative MPs will be asking, well, what's the yep. point of the Prime Minister? And it all but in it, a week's time. But it's a test for Keir Starmer, too, because Keir Starmer needs to do well in these elections if he's got any chance, any hope, of winning the next general election.
0: Absolutely, Darren. Thank you. And like me, Darren McCaffrey's out there. <laughs> <coughs> he... I like Darren so much more now that I work with him rather than him interviewing me when he worked at Sky News, I have to say. <laughs> Well, we're out here today doing this event. We've got a room full of people. Uh, Darren was down the road outside Rochester Cathedral early doing a live um, show. And we're going to be taking GB News out around the country, meeting real audiences, because this is the People's Channel. That is what GB News is here for. Now, they say all politics is local, I wonder. The boss of Medway Council, Alan Jarrett, is here with me. Alan, thank you very much, indeed, for joining us. I'm very pleased you're here. As we take this show round the country, regardless whether we go to Labour areas or Conservative areas, we find the local MP, always keen to come on, the local council leader, often keen to come on. Sadly, Kelly Tolhurst decided, the local MP here, that she would not appear. Um, From what I can see, she doesn't do any media at all, which I find quite astonishing. But, hey, no doubt, people here are thrilled that she's their MP. (laughs) (laughs) So that puts you in the hot seat. Alan, one thing I want to talk about uh, that'll be of interest outside Medway, outside Kent, is grammar schools, Mm. because they've almost disappeared over much of the country. I think there are 164 grammar schools left in the whole of England and Wales, and yet here you've still got active and I think thriving grammar schools.
2: Absolutely thriving, you're right um, Nigel, in fact we've just taken through cabinet um, uh, uh, agreement to um, make three of our existing grammar schools co-educational because we were we were um, struggling for numbers um, so we looked around, and, uh, and bearing in mind we're not allowed to be- have a new new grammar school, um, so how can we increase our capacity of grammar schools? And we've gone down the co-educational route, which is very popular with the parents, very popular with the children, and um, very popular with people outside of Medivay, who, who try to come in and hoover up any spaces that we've got.
0: Is there opposition? I mean, clearly when grammar schools were removed, it was <coughs> Labour that begun it, but I think the Conservatives closed more grammar schools, In government that actually the Labour Party did. Is there a big campaign in Webway to stop grammar
2: schools or do you feel it's got broad support? I think it's got broad support and I think it's uh, formed part of our election manifesto every election. Uh, We've won the last seven elections with um, retention and enhancement of grammar schools uh, as part of that manifesto so um, that amongst other things seems to be very popular with people and uh, It's something, Kent and uh, including Medway, one of the last bastions of grammar schools and I always find it quite nauseating actually that some of the people that are most vehemently against grammar schools went to grammar school themselves, (laughs) so they're pulling up the drawbridge after them, you know?
0: I know, that's absolutely (coughs) right. Mm. Now, cost of living, massive issue and, you know, it's not necessarily your fault at local council Mm. level uh, that gas prices are going up and all the rest of it, but clearly increases in poverty Uh, in the area. I notice uh, that you're very, very keen as a council, very keen on the climate change agenda and us going net zero by 2050. Mm. Do you not think, Alan, uh, that actually, given that this country only produces 1% of global CO2, given that China built 80 new coal-fired power stations last year, that the priority of these people is, I'm going to suggest, I might be wrong, But the priority of these people is they can't pay their bills, not the climate change agenda. I just wonder. And, by the way, I'm not suggesting that we be irresponsible. You know, we want to be good guardians of the environment. We want generations that come after us to benefit from that. But you're in line very much with the Conservative Party officially. Do you feel comfortable with that policy right now?
2: I think um, being in line with the Conservative policy nationally isn't something that in Medway we necessarily look to do. We look to do what is best for Medway people. Um, Really interested in the reaction just now to to what you said about it. Uh, We are committed to it because pretty well we have to be. Um, It's how we go about it and how much we spend on it. So I can tell you from budget setting what we spend on uh, climate change is very, very modest indeed. Our priorities in terms of spending for the good people of Medway um, are very clear and they don't include spending millions on climate change. There's, there's an absolute necessity to, to, to do it. Uh, the council is leading the way, but we only produce 1.4% of the carbon across the whole of Medway. So our main challenge is to work with the wider community, including the NHS, of course, um, uh, and the, the private sector, to get them to step up to the plate and uh, attend to their carbon emissions as well.
0: NHS, you've mentioned it, you know, I look at cancer waiting times, Medway's doing pretty well, I mean, it's not not doing great, no one is, but it's doing pretty well compared to much of the rest of the country. Uh, But the the gripe that I get, just everywhere I go, is lack of access to GPs, huge waiting times for basic operations. I'm guessing politically for you, running a local council, that must be the biggest challenge you face.
2: Well, it's quite difficult, actually, to get people to make the distinction, and this is not an excuse, make the distinction between what is the responsibility of national government and what is the responsibility of local government. Yeah. So, the NHS is not the responsibility of local government. If it was, I suggest to you, Nigel, it would be run a damn sight better than it is <laughs> now.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, you're right, and yet, and yet local people do, you know, have a go at their councillors. Last question, what's your biggest priority? What, you know, what are you going to do between now and the next set of elections here in Medway?
2: What we are doing is um, continuing with our, our current um, a- agenda, which is grammar schools, which yep. is to retain the lowest council tax in the whole of Kent which is to build homes in the right places, but at the same time to continue to challenge the go- government on the way it allocates housing numbers mm. to places. So you're told what to do. So yeah. here, yes. Um, so, so a letter from the minister which said you can choose how many ha- homes you build providing you follow the government's standard methodology. Mm. So if that isn't straight out of doublespeak, straight out of 1984, I don't know
0: what it is. <laughs> well, it's your government, it's your past, even. Uh, uh, you, know
2: the, you know what they said in the, f- the First World War, um, Nigel, about uh, lions led by donkeys, you know? <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> Alan Jarrett, it's a great note to end on. Thank you very much indeed <laughs> for coming <turning> on. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I mentioned access to GP services, and we've had this all over the country. For three quarters of a century, people have been used to the idea that you can go and see a GP face-to-face and get a consultation, but that's becoming very much more difficult. We'll add to all of that what Professor Martin Marshall, chairman of the Royal College of GPs, has said overnight. He has said that he wants to end what he describes as corner shop GP practices, by which he means little local GP uh, practices and he wants to, in future, have surgeries that will be large scale operations or part of chains of hospitals. He wants to corporatise what a GP is and I think that's completely wrong because I think the GP is just about the most important and trusted member of the local community. It's a classic example of those perhaps in London or running big organisations who just don't understand what the needs of folk are. At least, that's my take on it. Now, Dr Julian Spinks, GP Director at Medway Practices Alliance, thank you for joining us and for taking the hot
4: seat. It's so nice to get a round of applause for a change. Yeah, yeah we
0: haven't finished yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I say that because my sense of this, and I had a GP on the programme on Monday. She's a GP from East London. She said she's spending the first 50% of her consultations with patients that are frustrated, patients that are angry, patients that ring up or queue up and are told they can have an appointment in three weeks' time. And I put it to you that actually that bond of trust, that really important bond of trust that exists between GPs and their patients is beginning to break down. That's what I think.
4: I hate to say it. I agree with you. Um, I spent the first half of my career saying general practice was the jewel in the crown of the NHS. I'm afraid the crown is starting to tarnish and the jewels are starting to fall out. Um, We really have had problems for years. It predates COVID. We uh, have had falling numbers of GPs so there aren't enough of us actually to see everybody. Um, and COVID made it even worse. Uh, we went through that phase where we were told to lock down, to lock our doors, and people started to think that we were somehow sitting there knitting or whatever, when in reality we were doing our best to try and keep the service going whilst not being allowed to actually see patients face-to-face. We've moved back towards that, but actually if we saw everybody face-to- we genuinely couldn't see everybody who needed to be, or we couldn't consult with them.
0: And that's because we don't have enough GPs per capita of population. Is, is, is it as simple as that?
4: It is, generally. Uh, I mean, we're way below um, European countries and other parts of the world on the number of GPs per head of population. So we're trying to push people through. On a typical day, I see 30 to 40 patients. In most countries, they feel that beyond 25 is unsafe. And so, you know, if you wanted to see me when I've done 12 hours consulting, you know, it's rather like I would not go on a plane where a pilot's been flying for 12 hours without a break. And that is what is happening. And, you know, my patients deserve better. And if you ask them, they do like the old-style general practice, the small, friendly practice where I know the patients, the patients know me. So
0: how is it? How is it? that Professor Martin Marshall, chairman of the Royal College of GPs, says you're completely wrong, Julian. You must all be closed down, and we must industrialise GP practices. What do you think about what he has to say?
4: I mean, sadly, Alan's done the Lions Led by Donkeys line, but um, there well, you, is... Well, you could be ruder than that if you uh, wanted I, it. I could try. <laughs> um, no, the, the, the problem actually is that we've almost reached a tipping point. We can't get GPs to stay on in the profession because they burn out. Uh, So there's not enough of them and the numbers are going down. Um, The only way you can cope with that sometimes is to look at economies of scale. But I'm a firm believer that you can do economies of scale. That's one of the reasons my federation works the way it does. So you still have individual practices that works with patients the old-fashioned way, but looks at some of the back office stuff where you can make savings. That's one way of doing it. Um, But, you know, we've had 30 years of... uh, politicians telling us they don't like small practices, Mm. Uh, you know, they don't like single-handers, they want to really control everything that we do, whereas we have some flexibility to work with patients the way they want it.
0: Well, I suggest, Julian, given what you've had to say, which I think the audience here are quite broadly in agreement with, that you shout very loudly, indeed. Julian Spinks, thank you very much indeed for joining (laughs) us here on TV News. In a moment, in a moment... We're going to be joined by the Gillingham Street Angels, who are dealing with the cost of living crisis and homelessness at first hand. Back with you in a couple of minutes. (laughs) Welcome back to Rochester here in Medway. I was debating trust in politics. And some of your thoughts, some of the viewers' thoughts at home. Colin says, I trust neither party. One viewer says, I stopped trusting the Tories in week four of lockdown. Russ says, I don't trust the Tories, but I don't trust Labour either. Maybe the Tories are better. And Linda says, why are you always Tory bashing, Nigel? No, I'm not. I praise them to the heavens when I think they've got things right. Now, my what the Farage moment this week, I just love this. Elon Musk, what a hero Elon Musk is. <laughs> A defender of free speech. <laughs> but the other lovely thing about Elon Musk, unlike unlike those liberals who take everything so seriously and want to ban everything, he's got a sense of humor. This morning, Musk tweeted, next I'm buying Coca-Cola <laughs> to put the cocaine back in. <laughs> And, of course, they're all going potty. They can't bear the fact that he said it. But, folks, it's a joke. It's OK. He doesn't really mean it. And the other What the Farage moment, and I knew this would happen, German and Austrian energy firms, having paid billions to Russia since the start of the Ukrainian war, are now opening bank accounts in Switzerland with Gazprom's bank so that they can buy gas from Putin in, you've guessed it, rubles. We talk about sanctions, but actually, in many ways on this economic war, perhaps he can hurt us even more than we can hurt him. Now, the people that are really hurting at the moment in this country are ordinary folk. We've had a problem with homelessness. We've had a problem with poverty before the pandemic, but I suspect it's got a lot worse. I'm very pleased that Neil Charlick of Gillingham Street Angels has come on to join me. (laughs) Neil, GB News are big supporters of you, big supporters of your organisation, your volunteers and the work that you do. Just explain to us, how much worse in Medway have these problems of homelessness, poverty, hunger become?
5: I think in the last month, our figures have risen by 25%. So we fed 12,500 people last month. We're quite lucky that homelessness in general, well, the council have done a very good job. We've got quite a good team of local guys, have been taking a lot of guys off the street. But Where we started originally as a homeless charity, that problem's just grown. So where we were looking after street homeless, then people in supported accommodation, we now seem to be feeding a a lot of people. People who've got full-time jobs, people who've got good jobs are struggling, and they're starting to come to us in kind of crazy numbers.
0: And that's the difference, Neil, isn't it? That before, the problems that you had, people fall on hard times, people have got problems, whatever it is, but now you're saying it's working people who simply can't make ends meet.
5: The problem's getting worse, and the people who have come to us, it's... There's a lot of stigma around going to a soup kitchen and such and a food bank. It's a 45-minute queue to come to us, so when people come to get food, it's a 45-minute wait to get free food. A lot of people struggle with that. Have you spoken to a GP? They're struggling generally with GPs. Mental health's getting worse, so people who turn up to us are finding it very, very difficult. It's quite stressful for the volunteers. I'm very lucky to have a good team of volunteers who go through quite a lot of stress to deal with these people because they get a lot of stories that are not things you really want to be sharing. How
0: many, how many now on your team?
5: We've got about 80 people now. Have you really? So we, can still, we still need more. With the problems getting bigger and bigger. So to us, volunteers is a huge, is a huge problem.
0: And you're relying on charitable donations to keep the whole thing going? Yeah,
5: no, we try and make ourselves as sustainable as possible. Again, we're very lucky with Medway Council. They've been very supportive of us. The locals, local community have been supportive. Local businesses have been fantastic. I'm a big fan of, lo- you know, shop local and do stuff locally. And they've been very good to us. And that's that keeps us going but again we're going to get our costs are rising £350,000 this year just to run a charity to give free food to people.
0: Well Neil I have to say I know that GB News you've appeared on many of our programmes before but I was very keen as we were here in Medway that you came on. I just want to say to you and the other 80 folk that do what you do I think by the autumn of this year uh, when I suspect energy prices are going to be even worse you'll be needed even more and just four marks for what you do. It's fantastic. It Thank really you very much, is. Thank you. Me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it's time for Barrage the Farage, where audience members who have been selected get up to ask their questions. I know their names, I've no idea what their questions are. Let's start with Dan. Dan, what is your question? Good evening, Nigel. Good evening. In light of what's gone on with mobile phones in the chambers of parliament recently, do you think it's time to
2: ban the use of mobile phones in the chambers itself?
0: It's a really good question. And If you watch MPs now, they're constantly on their phones. If you go to the Welsh Assembly, they've got laptops up on their desks. Um, I don't want to be a hypocrite about this, because when I sat in the European Parliament, at times I was so bored, without a mobile phone, God knows what I'd have done. That's when they weren't throwing things at me. Um, do you know what? Realistically, in the modern age, it isn't going to happen. I'm afraid we live in an information technology age. It just isn't going to happen. But I get your point, because the way it should work is you listen to reasoned debate. You listen to argument on both sides, and maybe a good argument can change your point of view. So I get why you asked the question, but you know what? It ain't going to happen. <laughs> no, I'm afraid not, but thank you. APPLAUSE um, Next up is Lee. Lee Larkfield is next up. Good evening. (laughs) Thank you for Brexit. (laughs) Thank you. Well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank Medway. (laughs) Because of all the sleaze and the scandal and the lies that are in our current government, do you think it would be better if MPs would have had to have had a real job rather than coming from the elite of Oxbridge and Cambridge? Yes. (laughs) Look, look, I think you need some academics. I think there is room in Parliament for some people who are academics. Uh, But when you have academics like Kwasi Kwarteng, uh, you know, who's in charge of energy, who thinks it's better to import natural gas from all over the world than produce our own in this country, provide tens of thousands of well-paid jobs to men and women, uh, then I think you need some people in there with some business experience, with some real-life experience. I wouldn't have a problem if the average age of our MPs went up by 10 or 15 years, but we got more men and women from both parties who'd had jobs in the real world. I agree 100%. Absolutely. I think you. Do. <laughs> OK, let's go to... Linda Vincent. Hi, Linda.
5: Yeah, good evening, Nigel. Um, I'm a great supporter of you and Brexit, but lately I understand that this government is not doing what they promised on controlling immigration and all the green energy stuff and cost of living. But my question is, if we keep putting this government down, Mm -hmm. we will end up with a Labour government and maybe a two-party government. And that would be worse, I believe, for this country on controlling immigration and green energy. We would be in a worse state, I feel. Well. How would we, how do we get through to this government without causing us to score a home goal if Labour get into
3: power?
0: Well, Linda, you know, the point is that the Brexit voting public, who in the end, um, who in the end uh, got sick of, of Theresa May, and I think, you know. The, what, what the Brexit party did in areas like this, got rid of May, Johnson yes. came in. Controlling our borders was a, one of the main planks of Brexit. When mm. people see what's happening in the English Channel, they mm. are absolutely enraged by it. Um, we get promise after promise made and no delivery. Yeah. Interestingly, public opinion now trusts Labour on immigration wow. more than the Conservatives.
3: Wow.
0: It seemed, no, but it does. But it does. It seems incredible. Look, all I would say is this. Mm. Starmer is not Jeremy Corbyn.
3: Right.
0: He is not the extreme left. In fact, actually, in terms of many policies, I doubt his policies would be that much different to Boris Johnson's. Okay. So much as Boris Johnson moved to the social democratic centre. But he won't be at a governor alone, mm. and it will have to be a coalition, I guess, with the SNP mm. and the Liberals. Uh, whether it's better or whether it's worse, you know, you've got your own view. Yeah. But the fact is, people voted for a Conservative government, it's about time, in terms of their relationship with small business, in terms of keeping Brexit promises, in terms of controlling the borders, Mm -hmm. it's about time they started fulfilling the promise that got so many to vote for them in 2019. And if they do, I'll be the first to praise them. All right, thank you. Let us go to... Danny. Danny, I love it. Magnificent. Magnificent. (laughs) you asking a question or singing? Uh, what would you like, Nigel? <laughs> a question to do.
1: Good evening. Um, quite s- simple and straightforward. Yep. Um, what are your uh, views on uh, renationalisation of core British industries, such as the energy sector, railways, and so on and so forth?
0: Look, I generally think that when governments own things and run things, they do it quite badly. But I do think selling off strategic resources to Chinese companies, or French companies, or companies that have no uh, essential national interest in this country and how it's run, is a mistake. And I think I supported privatisation, but I think it went too far. And I think to have the Chinese Communist Party involved in building a nuclear power station down in the West Country is absolutely nuts. I'd rather the government did that than the Chinese government. All right, OK. Two more.
2: Let's get Robert. Robert McCam. Good evening, Nigel. Good evening. Uh, I know you like to come to these places to talk about local issues, but I feel I must ask your opinion about Putin. Yeah. I think he's deceived the world with his build-up of all the troops that were supposedly on exercises, and now he's into Ukraine. He cannot be trusted to stick to his word. Why are we even trying to negotiate with him?
0: Well, look, I thought, you know, I have to say, I thought ten years ago that Putin was really clever, really smart. Uh, I now think he's lost it. I'm not even sure that, sure that he's rational now really? in what he's doing, and that is very, very scary in many ways. Uh, we have to be sensible. We have to make sure that there's still a way out for him. Yes. And I think yes. to threaten him with the International Criminal Court actually was an error. I think what he's doing is reprehensible, absolutely, in every single way. And the truth is we're not negotiating with him. Uh, And I I have to say, it amazes me. I promise you this, if Trump was in the White House, I doubt he'd he'd have done any of this, but I'm convinced it needs a Trump or somebody to go and talk to Putin, to fly to Moscow and talk to Putin, to say, look, we want peace. Because at the moment, all I see is an escalation of rhetoric and arms on both sides of this debate. So I actually think we should be trying to talk to him. It may be impossible, but you know what Churchill once said? George Orr is better than war. War. We need to try a bit harder, in my opinion. Yeah. Thank you. Thank okay. You. And the last one <laughs> is. Last question is Lorraine. Lorraine. Good evening. Good evening.
6: Good evening. Good evening. Okay. Do you think that the average working person would be better paid weekly? Because if you run out of money on Wednesday, you only have to wait a couple of days before you get paid. Whereas if you run out of money on the 15th of the month, you would need to borrow money to survive.
0: I, to be honest with you, I'm going to be honest with you, I'd never thought of that, especially. But people did used to get weekly pay packets, didn't they? And they used to get... I mean, in fact, going back a few years, they got weekly pay packets in cash, the tax had been deducted, and that was how it worked. Um, Quite honestly, given the digital world that we're in and the way that payments proceed, it would be just as easy for companies... To set up weekly payments mm. as it is to set up monthly payments. It wouldn't cost them any more money. And I think, Lorraine, it's a very interesting idea. Mm. Yeah, it's a very... Yeah. I, I haven't never mind up here and now, but it's an interesting idea. I'm going to think about it more, and thank you for putting it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Now, <laughs> in a moment... In a moment, it's the best part of the show. It's the talking pints part of the show, and I'm joined by two local celebrities after the break. James and Ola Jordan, here they are, in action. That so mm-hmm. too
7: mm-hmm. need more
0: That's all coming up in just a moment. Talking pints! James and Ola Jordan! Welcome to the show! Hi, welcome to
6: show. Proper Kent.
0: local <laughs> celebs. You've done the blooming lot between you, haven't you? Strictly Come Dancing, Big Brother, Dancing on Ice. I'm a
6: celebrity.
5: I'm a celebrity,
0: get me out of here. You've done the whole lot. But James, start with you. You're a proper local lad, aren't you?
7: Proper, yeah. Medway boy, through and through. Born in Gillingham, Canada yep. House. Uh, lived in Chatham, in Waterslade. Um, pretty much till I was 15. Um, lived in Rochester, Strood. Um, yeah, St Mary's Island. I've been everywhere. <laughs> um, so yeah, a proper Medway boy. I'm proud as well, because they're yeah. real, people. real yeah. people. No, no, I've, I've noticed, absolutely. <laughs> Don't and,
0: mess with them. And James, no, got get it. And James you worked here yes. at the Medway
7: Power Station. That, that yeah. was
0: your first proper job, was it?
7: Um, I wouldn't say it was my first proper job, but my dad was uh, a site manager on the power stations. Um, and obviously it's not necessarily what you know, it's who you know. Um, I started off as a tea boy um, yep. to pay for my dancing yep. and then went on to be a handyman, but apparently wasn't very handy. <laughs> um, so I worked on Medway Power Station, Kings North Power Station, Isle Grain. I did that for probably about seven years to pay for our lessons and, and things like that. Our dancing, yeah. really, yeah. But dancing... A love from from a very early age? Um, I wouldn't say a love from a very early age. I would say I was not necessarily pushed into dancing, but my sister started, and then I kind of was told that I had to go along as well. And There was like two boys in the class, and I was like, what is this all about? Um, And then I started realising as I got older there were, yeah, okay, two boys, but about 30 girls. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is good. <laughs> and then the better I got at dancing, the more girls pay an interest to you. And, Did they? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then I met the lovely Ola. Then he go to Poland.
6: Then he's he has gone to Poland and found me. And, found... Yeah. and that was it. He That's br- it. And he put
0: you... <laughs> in his suitcase, and he yes. brought you back, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you've been married ever since.
6: Yeah, 22 years I've been here, so moved over to dance with James 22 years ago. 17
7: she was when she moved here. Yeah, uh,
6: yeah. She was legal so a long time ago, her. long time ago.
7: Yeah, it was a long time ago.
0: And very quickly, between the two of you, this amazing TV programme arrives on the BBC with Bruce Forsyth comparing <laughs> yep. it, and suddenly, Family Saturday night viewing is back where it had been perhaps in the 70s and the 80s generations together Watching Strictly Come Dancing loving Strictly Come Dancing um, And you guys are, of course great dancers, but the best ever dancer on Strictly Come Dancing was a former conservative member of Parliament <laughs> <laughs> For Maidstone later on a Brexit party, over. Anne Whittacombe was she the was best
3: I mean, <laughs> you know <what>? she, was...
7: <laughs> she was actually she was actually lovely. I really liked her. I, I had a bit of a soft spot for her. She didn't know how to take me because I'm quite um, abrupt sometimes, but um, she did Gosh. The, she did well the, she's pretty yeah, abrupt. She so. she did the tour and everything. So she she loved the dancing. Yeah. I think she she got on really well with Anton. Anton was the perfect partner for her.
0: Um We
6: had some nice conversations with her. Yeah.
0: No, she was. She was now what are you doing service. strictly? I mean yes. it is it
7: takes your life over, doesn't it? it does. For what? 4 months. More. Uh, we pretty much start in August, so August, September, October, November, December, months. five months. Five, six months, yeah. yeah. So and it's much, a long time. Like, kind of, not much time off. No, and, yeah, and yeah. then afterwards you went on the tour, and then yeah. you'd do a pro tour, and then you were doing your own show, so pretty much all year yeah. round you were dancing, hence yeah. why... It wrecks your body, and I've got loads yeah. of injuries. And... Used to be
6: thin, and yeah, now we used we're to be thin, so thin. And, now, <laughs> and now we just
7: eat a lot more. <laughs> but there is,
0: and you know, you were on it for nine years. You were on it for ten Same. years, yes. I think. But there is one difference, isn't there, Mr. and Mrs. Jordan, in terms of she's won it. She's won it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Oh, you
3: won yeah. it. Thank you. Yeah,
0: yeah. 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 As I say, well, I just... has
6: <laughs> got to come back.
0: Yeah, I've,
7: I've still got my name on the trophy. It still says Jordan on
2: there.
6: <laughs> I won it with his help. I've got to give it to no, him. She yeah, it. No, I did But you won you it, and that must
7: have been a great feeling.
6: It has been a great feeling. It's, it's, you know, strictly, it's a massive show, but it's an amazing show. To be part of it for such a long time, it's, it is like a big family, and, and a lot of hard work goes into yeah, it. The celebrities it work hard. really hard. The professional work so hard. Um, yeah, it's an amazing show. So w- when are you yeah. going to do it? Yeah.
0: Well, well, yes. I think so. uh-huh. Well, I have I have been invited on some of the other programs. Okay. I've been invited onto Big Brother. Right. I've been invited onto the Jungle. You yeah. should do that. You'd nah, be good but on But I, have, I haven't done that. But how did you find the Jungle?
6: Amazing. I loved it. Did you? You were just See, sleeping out the, under, under the sky. It was beautiful. I'm scared yeah. of everything, so i yeah, You weren't so. scared of
7: dancing on ice, were you? Uh, I was actually. Weird. Yeah, I actually was. I was rubbish at the beginning. I was going to Gillingham Ice Rink yep. pretty much every day, but because I'm so competitive, I, I just wanted to be as good as I could. I was training all the time, but n- my fear never went. It's so difficult ice skating. Oh, you're um,
6: older now, so it hurts when you fall down.
3: <laughs> wow! Wow! let oh, wow. wow. no,
0: keep very going. Keep oh. having a go at it. It's good <laughs> tally. we love it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really is. <laughs> I just wonder though with all this, suddenly, you know, you've appeared you guys have appeared on the biggest mass TV programmes in this country. Yeah. Here you are, living in Medway, and suddenly you, know, you want to go out and fill the car up and everybody knows you and everyone wants to talk to you how's that level of fame affected
7: your life? you know what generally people have been so nice Very i mean nice. we were actually living in hong kong at the time when we got asked to do it we did uh, a competition at blackpool uh, we did really well in the competition and we were scouted by someone from the bbc um but we weren't actually living in this country we'd been living in hong kong for about four years and then we moved back from there to do the show um
6: and yes, yeah. I mean people are really nice. People yeah. always stop us, even now. Um, it was a
7: little bit annoying at the beginning when people were knocking on your door at home at nine o'clock at night and asking them to sign their book and things like that. That that started to get on my tits
0: <laughs> But a bit. generally,
6: people were lovely, weren't they? Yeah, that, generally James? people are lovely.
0: Yes, yes. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. I'm pleased to hear. But you're still pretty active. You're OK Magazine columnists at the moment. Hello. Hello. Sorry. I apologise. <laughs> <laughs> I apologise. I apologise. Um, yeah. yeah, it's all
6: about parenting now for yeah. us. we've got a little toddler yeah. running around, keeping us busy, so yeah. we, we've got a parenting column in Hello! magazine. I mean, what, is, what has
0: lockdown done to people's parenting skills?
6: Yeah, it was very hard, I've got to say. We had Ella three weeks before the lockdown, the first lockdown, so we were stuck with a newborn baby at yeah. home. We don't know what we're doing with a newborn baby. So it was very hard that we didn't have... It was
7: tough. You couldn't even, you know, ask your friends for their advice. You'd be FaceTiming people and they'd be like... You know what you do, know. and then two weeks after that, unfortunately, my dad got diagnosed with—he uh, had a brain tumour. Mm-hmm. I lost him last year, so we were dealing with that stress as well. It was yeah, just—it was—it was, it was a tough time for us, but it was a tough time for so everyone, many yeah. people. You know, not being able to see your loved ones when they're in hospital. For me, I, I found it really brutal that I couldn't go and see my dad in hospital. Yeah, devastating. Did we you get lockdown wrong? Um, I think that, yeah, I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing, right? They were trying to do the best for the country, and they got a lot of things wrong, but could anyone else have done it better? Maybe not, it's you know, because hi- hindsight is it's so easy it's to not. say when someone's done something I know, wrong. Yeah. I know, I know. Um, and, yeah. of course, coming from Poland, yeah. I'm guessing what's happening in
0: Ukraine... It's pretty close to home, isn't it?
6: It is very close to home. It's difficult. It's scary. Um, Leaving next door to, to, to the wall, it's hard. Like, my mum and dad are here not, now. We've
7: actually flown they, them over. They're is here. They're staying yeah. with
6: me. And, you know, they're in the 70s. They don't want a war. I mean, no-one wants a war, but. Um, you know, they're scared. They're not going to just be able to pack the bags and run away when, when the bomb hits.
7: And now Putin shut off the gas in Poland?
6: Um, so it's hard. I think people, po- yes, Polish people are very scared. They, they're very scared. So um, there's a lot of Ukrainian people that came over. I mean, when you huge think 3 million, million or something, a lot people have gone into uh, Ukraine. Of, a lot of, they can feel that they're there because a lot of children are in the schools now. My auntie is a teacher. She's got a lot of Ukrainian children there. Um, yeah, a lot of people there and not much help from the European Union either. Nothing. So um... They've seen
7: not a penny. From
0: the European Union. So it's Union. difficult.
6: It's hard. It's very difficult. Um... The
0: European Union can't help. They're too busy. The Germans giving Putin all this money for his gas. Exactly. They I mean that, that it, it actually caused quite a big rift, doesn't it? Yes, it has. I mean, in terms of you know, in terms of Poland's relationship with Brussels, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. it's got
7: very, 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 very
0: tense.
6: Yeah, people indeed. are nervous. My uncle's got a son who is twenty. He's worried he's going go to go um, to to the army.
7: Poland is not a wealthy country, and for them, they didn't even question it. They took in three million refugees. Yeah, but and they're, they're not coming. getting any help from yeah. people that are supposed to be helping them. Yeah, And I just think it's terrible. Now, closer to home,
0: you're engaged with charity now, following your father's death. Yes. How's that going?
7: Yeah, great. I mean, obviously, we did uh, the Four Monty as well, um, which was for cancer relief, yeah. uh, to raise awareness to cancer. Um, and that was an amazing thing to be part of. Um, so, yeah, I mean, whenever we can, we do whatever we can for the charity because... It's actually very, very common. I mean, just recently we lost Tom Parker as well, who I knew, he was 32 years old. He had two young children. It's, it's a horrible, horrible disease. And if you get a glioblastoma, um, yeah, unfortunately there's not, the, the med, medical uh, advancements and been... research hasn't moved on in the last 30 years. Yeah. There's not enough money going into it. It's going into other cancer charities. To so go trying to help with that. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I want good. to try and push it as, as much as possible. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And what next, guys? What next? I don't know. I mean maybe politician. I like wow. watching little, <laughs> I, I, I like watching a little bit of the naughty stuff too.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
7: I'm joking, oh, He didn't mean it votes yeah, honestly.
3: Honor
0: watches it. Honor watches it. Well look, you've obviously had you know,
7: really exciting careers. Yeah, it's We're been really great. Yeah, we've been done. very lucky, you know, very we've nice. been lucky and uh, I mean we've worked very hard. Um, I, actually, we want to now, our aim is, because the last two years have been tough, we are out of shape, both of us, and we want to get... Speak
3: by yourself. No, I was actually... <laughs> uh,
7: payback, payback. So we want to get back in shape and actually maybe do a few well, more shows and things. Good.
0: Well, I think actually, the truth of it is... <laughs> you're right, you're right. You didn't really need me here at all, because they could just talk to each other, couldn't they? <laughs> Please give a big round for James and Owen. Thank you.
7: <laughs> Thank you very
0: much, again. Now, if you like Farage at Large and you fancy coming along to one of our events, the next one is going to be in two weeks' time. Yep, it's going to be on the 12th of May. It's going to be in Hull in East Yorkshire. So if you live in Hull, you want to come along to a Farage at Large event, and it's not bad. They seem to be enjoying themselves. <laughs> so please go to the gb news website and book your tickets now lauren austin is from rochester she's going to sing us out with signed sealed and delivered which is what boris promised us with the brexit deal <laughs>
3: no And that time I went and said goodbye, but now I'm back and not ashamed to cry, oh baby, here I am shining.